Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we are going to look at scriptures from Sunday to Saturday on the week of Third Epiphany, or to say it more properly, the third Sunday after the Epiphany. Now, the Epiphany is January the 6th. This is where uh, the Magi in Matthew chapter 2 come to see Jesus and present gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And now Jesus, his ministry is in full blossom, and he is showing himself. Why does he need to show himself? Because people need to see the revelation of the Messiah that we've talked about from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament. He's now showing himself. Remember John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 3 is out there uh, preparing us for the coming of the Lord. And then, of course, we have his baptism. That's first epiphany or the the first week after the epiphany. Then we have the second, and now we are on the third week. Last week, we looked at Isaiah, Ephesians, and Mark, and this week, we are looking at Isaiah, Galatians, and Mark. So we are still in Isaiah and continuing to learn from Isaiah. We pick up the book of Galatians, which is a fascinating book, and we have the Gospel of Mark, 521 through 723. All right, let's jump right in to Isaiah. Isaiah 47, the humiliation of Babylon. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon, chapter 47, verse 1. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Now, a lot of the scriptures in the prophets are about judgment. Now, last week, we talked a lot about who God is and comparing him to uh, idols, and um, he was, he, God, was debating with them about how foolish it was to worship idols because idols cannot talk, they cannot do anything, they're in reality false. And in this particular text, 1 to 15, he talks about the the, uh, judgment of the Babylonians, and of course, God does that. God takes care of those who will not submit to them, Okay. We look at chapter 47, and then we go to chapter 48. The former things I declared of old, verse 3, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. I mean, that's a perfect explanation of how history happens. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth, God said them. He announced them. They, he did them and they came to pass. History happened. The daily events, he made it happen, and they came to pass. In reality, they came to pass. Okay? I declared them to you from of old, chapter 48, verse 5. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. Now, I'm not talking to you after it happened and and said to you, well, I I was predicting that. No, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before. It's going to happen, and then after that, I'm going to tell you that I announced it before and what happened. Now, when you look at that, you have God speaking before the event, you have the event itself, and then God speaking after the event where he tells us that he announced it beforehand and he made reference to the event. It shows you that God is alive and well and real versus a block of wood. Because I know that you are obstinate, verse 4, and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from old. 
He said, you were so obstinate, so difficult that I had to show you that I could do this so that you could hear what I am saying. You have heard. Now see all this, verse 6. And will you not declare it? Now go and say it. Go and say what I have done. And there's no one like me. From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, verse 7, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. You didn't know them. You didn't know them before I said them. You have never heard. You have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. So what you and I know, it's what the Lord has told us, what he's revealed to us, what he has shown us. And so our attitude needs to be, I'm submitting myself to the Lord. I'm submitting myself to his will. I'm submitting myself to his word. He's going to instruct me. He's going to guide me. I'm going to listen to him. I'm not going to go out here and do my own thing. I'm not going to go out here and do what I think I need to do. No, I'm going to submit every day to the word of the Lord. And, and this is an Isaiah. This is Isaiah 48. I mean, how many people know what Isaiah 48 says or even read Isaiah 48? It's a beautiful, beautiful verse, beautiful series of verses. Isaiah 48, 12 to 21. Assemble all of you, verse 14, and listen. Get everybody together. I want to, want to tell you something. Who among you has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon. His arm shall be against the Chaldeans. The Lord's in charge of all nations, people. We're not in charge. We can't do anything. God's doing it. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. Thus says the Lord, verse 17, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. He is going to lead us on the right path, but we've got to follow his path. That path, as Jesus says, is narrow, Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. It's narrow. It's not wide. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But he's going to tell us where he wants us to go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments, verse 18. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. So we need to listen to the word of the Lord. And if we pay attention, we're going to have blessing, Deuteronomy 28. If we don't pay attention, then there will be cursing and lots of negative things, second half of Deuteronomy 28. Chapter 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar, verse 1. The Lord called me from the womb. From the womb. The womb is important. God knows you're there from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Not when you got out of the body of your mother, in the body of your mother. That's how important you were in the womb. Or that's how important you are in the womb. He called you from the womb. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me like a polished arrow. And then he talks about what he did for this person. Okay? All right. Now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be a servant. He's the one that forms us from, from the womb. We are valuable in our mother's womb. The Lord knows us in his womb. We don't start knowing God, or he doesn't start knowing us when we get out of the womb. He starts that process in the womb. That's the value of the person in the womb. The Lord regards 
him or her as a person and begins to work in him and her from the womb. Very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. Very, very important also. All right. Thus says the Lord, verse 9, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant for the people to establish the land. So God is speaking to his people. Now we fast forward as these people grow up. He saves us. He redeems us. He sets us free. He calls us. He leads us. He guides us. So we are to sing for joy, verse 13, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people so that they will have compassion and will have compassion on his afflicted. He wants to bless. He wants to show compassion. He wants to engrave you on the palm of my hands, verse 16. Engrave you on the palms of my hands. Look at verse 18. Lift up your eyes and around and see. They all gather, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Okay? And he continues on. Quite a lengthy passage from in Isaiah 49, 13 to 23. Actually, the whole uh, section is quite long. Uh, look at chapter 50, 1 through 11. Thus says the Lord, where is your mother's certificate of divorce which I sent her away? Of which of my creditors is it to which I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. So we're back now to the sin problem and the transgression problem. It's not good. Not good. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Verse 4. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Now he's back to something positive again. This wonderful interplay between God showing compassion and mercy, helping us, teaching us, and then dealing with our transgressions and our sins and our lack of forgiveness. The Lord has opened my ear. I pray that's true for everyone in our audience today. And I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Now, here's a prophecy about Jesus Christ. 50 verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. That's a quote that's used, by the way, about the Messiah. Okay? All right. Chapter 51, 1 through 8. Again, I'm not reading all the, of, of the text, but I'm reading enough to give you a flavor for it. And as you read these great verses in Isaiah the prophet, you will be blessed by the word of the Lord abundantly. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. I'm assuming that's all of our audience. You're seeking the Lord. You're seeking righteousness. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, verse 2, that I might bless and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. The Lord is our comforter. Give attention to me, my people, verse 4. Give ear to me, my nation. My righteousness draws near, verse 5. My salvation has gone out. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. I mean, he just keeps telling us what he wants to do and what he wants us to do and how we're supposed to respond to him. And you just read this cascade of 
verses over and over, and you get a feel for who God is, and you get a feel for the reality and the closeness of God and the fact that he is serious about what he's saying. And then finally, you get a desire to go out and do what he asks us to do as a result of knowing him. Enjoy, Isaiah. Now, Galatians, there's a big problem in Galatians. And the problem is, is that a group of people called the Judaizers came along among the people of Galatia. And they added to the gospel of Jesus Christ by suggesting that the people that are Christians, they needed to do more things. They needed to, they needed to take the law more seriously. They needed to do some more traditional uh, measures that the law required. And so there's this big tete-a-tete, as we'll go through the scriptures, between the righteousness that we have in Christ that's imputed to us versus obeying the law. Now, this is an age-old problem. It's been around plus 2,000 years. You know the person that's the legalist, that obeys the law, that believes they're righteous before Christ versus the person that cannot obey the law. There's no way they can keep the law because of their sinfulness. But they submit to Christ by confessing their sins, being sorrow, sorrow, sorry for their sins, and follow Christ. And then he imputes his righteousness in exchange for their sins. It's an exchange. I give up my sins, Christ takes them on the cross, and he gives me his righteousness, and therefore I am justified before God. All right, let's look at Galatians. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, verse 3. I'm astonished, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The gospel is the message. That is the only message. That is the right message. It is the truth. And what the world, the flesh, and the devil are doing is to try to distort that message and distort the truth of that message so that you and I will believe lies, which are very dangerous to our souls. But even if we are an angel from heaven, verse 8, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. For now... Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, he says in verse 10, or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I'm not trying to please people. I am presenting the message of the gospel. I am presenting the message of the truth. Now, it may not be something that you want to hear, but it is the truth and it will set you free, as Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32. Okay? So, he says that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, verse 11. I didn't receive it from man, verse 12, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Then he talks about his um, life in Judaism and how he was very zealous and how he kept the faith and he kept the rules. He kept the truth of the tenets of Judaism. And he shares that gospel into chapter 2. He opposes Peter in chapter 2, verse 11, following. He says, If you, though a Jew, verse 14, 
If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, verse 15. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works of the law. So that we also have, uh, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You cannot keep the law. Justified, you are in right standing before God. Justification by faith. You can't stand before God without Christ's shed blood and be justified because you can't keep the law. If you break any measure of the law, you've broken the whole law and you're guilty. You've sinned. So Jesus came and did something quite phenomenal, very phenomenal actually. He took our sins and we took his righteousness as I said earlier. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, verse 17, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? No. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen closer to 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If, if justification could be gained by keeping the law, why did Jesus die? He died because we couldn't keep the law. And if we couldn't keep the law, and the law was the thing that got us into heaven or hell, everybody ended up in hell. So that wasn't a good solution. We needed faith in Christ. Chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Strong language from Paul. It was before my eyes in verse 1 that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The flesh can't do anything. It's only by the Spirit of God and by your faith in Christ. And so he's very, very passionate about that. For we who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, verse 10. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And of course, that's what happened to Jesus. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's the way you get saved. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. This is verse 19. Okay? Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Verse 21. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ, verse 22, might be given to those who believe. The ones that believe will be saved. Now before faith came, verse 23, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So, in Christ Jesus, verse 26, you are sons of God through faith. Sons of God through faith. Read it slowly. 
I went through it fairly quickly. Think about your relationship with Christ in terms of repentance and faith under Christ. Now, let's look at Mark chapter 5. We were with the Gerasene demoniac. (laughs) How dramatic that was. This extraordinarily strong person that no one could put chains on. He'd break all the chains, but Jesus drove out the demons and he was healed. Now, our next miracle in chapter 5 is the woman of the healing of the uh, hemorrhage and the Jairus' daughter. So she just touched his garment and she was healed. The flow stopped. And he says to her in 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She touches him. She's healed. Then Jairus' daughter, the child is dead. Remember, three major miracles. The widow of Nain's son, Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus. Chapter 11 of John Lazarus. And they laughed at him. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years old. They were immediately overcome with amazement. Man raises somebody from the dead. The man heals someone with an issue of blood. The man heals uh, someone from uh, the possession of demons. The man calms the storm. He's rejected at Nazareth. Can you believe someone that's doing all these miracles is rejected in his hometown? And he could do little miracles there. There's not much he could do because the people did not believe. How tragic. He sends out his disciples and gives them authority and they do great miracles in his name. John the Baptist in chapter 6 dies. This horrible event cuts off his head, places it on a platter. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now that's just men counted, so no telling how many people were there. They cannot feed them, but Jesus can feed them. Okay? They cannot feed them. Jesus can feed them. Five loaves and two fish. Not big loaves, not big fish. Was it a miracle? You bet it was. They all ate and were satisfied, verse 42. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. There were 5,000 men, not including women and children. Then he walks on water. Then the man walks on water. Calm the wind in the sea, in chapter 3. In chapter 6, he's walking on water. You know anybody can walk on water? You know anybody can cast out demons? You know anybody can feed 15 to, uh, 15 to 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish? With 12 baskets left over? You know anybody can heal someone with an issue of blood? Someone that can raise someone from the dead? You know anybody that can cast out demons on, on, in a person's life and they would be perfectly sound? I don't know anybody can do that. So the Gospels are testifying to that. And you'd think he'd get thousands of people that would believe him. Nope. He gets crucified in the end after about three-year ministry. And even his disciples abandoned him. Finally, in chapter 7, we have more teaching from Jesus. This is very important. More teaching. The Traditions and the Commandments is the title. And uh, again, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about what they mean. We're talking about uh, what's important. We're talking about his tete-a-tete with the Pharisees. What does Jesus say? What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Verse 20. What is within? That's what Jesus is concerned about. Your heart, my heart. 
evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. I am not interested in what you people eat and not really interested in the way you dress. I am interested in what's inside of you and what comes out. I'm interested in what's interior and what comes out exterior out of yourself. That's what I'm interested in, according to Jesus. Well, what a great week. Third epiphany. The profound book of Galatians about righteousness and faith versus the law and grace. The profound uh, readings in Mark where Jesus is doing tremendous ministry and just amazing things. And then, of course, in Isaiah, uh, the prophet is speaking to the people of Israel about the Lord, about God Almighty, about Yahweh, and uh, going back and forth with revelations about nations, about themselves, and who God is. Much to think about. Have a wonderful time of learning about the Lord and of Christ and what he wants us to do and not do. Enjoy and be blessed abundantly by this week of Third Epiphany. See you next week for Epiphany number four.